property. We live on it. We buy it. Sell it. Invest in it. This is Property Knocks with Jordan Chinotsky. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another live session of Property Knocks with me, your host, Jordan Chinotsky. With me today in the studio is Louis Fenter, Managing Director and Founder of Wealth Succession South Africa. Good morning, Louis. How are you doing? Good morning. Very nice to be with you this morning. Thank you for making yourself available. It's really appreciated. Obviously, you know, Sunday mornings are a little bit tough when it comes to waking up early, but uh, we appreciate the effort nonetheless. No problem at all. So, Louis, just before we jump into our interview this morning, can you give us a little bit of an idea of your experience and your role and what what your field of specialty is, I suppose? Yeah, sure. So my career started out uh, being admitted as an attorney. Um, so my background is a legal one. Um, and fairly early on, I started specializing in the unique um, combination of law and family. Uh, and that, that led me to the field of, of estate planning. So my, my deep specialization is, is, is in estate planning. Uh, as a business, that's what we do uh, from the morning to the evening. Yeah. Uh, and what it's about really is about the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. Uh, what makes for successful succession? That's where the name of the business comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, what factors makes makes uh, good heirs? What makes for bad heirs? Uh, we see yeah. many scenarios, etc. Uh, but yeah, fascinating, fa- fascinating field. Um, and something I love to talk about. Amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously over the majority of people, I mean, I suppose not many people have too much knowledge as to how the process works in terms of inheritance when it comes to property. I mean, me as an agent, I've seen a lot of people struggling with dealing with estates that they need to tie up of, you know, loved ones that have passed away and whatnot. So, you know, I think this kind of information often goes over the top of most people's heads until it, they're faced with a situation where they, you know, need expertise or need to deal with it. So, um, effectively, like we, like we've planned to do, we'll be running through a general topic surrounding the impact of property inheritance tax on different, you know, types of people, different age groups, different lifestyles, different positions in their life. So, um, I suppose without further ado, we can take a deep dive into, I think let's start with the youngsters first. I mean, how exactly would property inheritance tax or just the general process affect someone, you know, a young adult or a first-time homeowner, first-time buyer? What sort of expectations can they have in this regard? Yeah, property is interesting because we all yearn to, to, to own property. And I think in this country, I think that yearning is, is, is bigger than in others. If I compare it with Germany, for instance, Germany, you don't have this massive yearning to own property. Many people rent. I think the, the, the stats says that only 41% of Germans own property itself wow. with a, uh, almost everybody have work, you know, so it is, it, there's a, there's a clear disconnect there between property ownership uh, and 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 uh, young people etc. They they tend to rent, but here I think it's different. Uh, and uh, I think everybody in South Africa, you know, there's this massive yearning to own property. But yeah. you know, just just to take one step step back, you know, is is and I I think we tend to forget that in South Africa. Um, 
is the, the, the owning of a property, you know, starts, starts with ability that was built up long before. It takes about 22 years to, to build the ability in a human and for them to transfer that ability into earning potential. And then, then when you start to earn and you spend a little bit less than, than what you earn, that is the percentage or, or that is the, the, the income that you use to raise a bond and then buy a property. Um, and, and, and it seems like we, we sometimes try to cheat that, that cycle. You know, it is, it's, uh, you, you have to, you have to build your ability for 22 years to be in that position. But when you're in that position, typically young people, that's the first thing. You know, I think they buy the car and they buy the home and, and, and after two, the home is a great one to buy. I think it's the best debt that you can have uh, other than your, 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 uh, debt to, to, uh, pay for your studies. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is such a cornerstone of, uh, of our portfolios, uh, as humans in South Africa in any case, is that property component. I think it is about 60 or 70% of most people's wealth actually sits in their property and it starts very, very young with that first property you buy. Yeah. No, and there's different mindsets and different approaches to owning property. I mean, as I've said in previous interviews with a multitude of guests, you know, for example, you speak of Germany, what guys in America tend to do, and this is just based on the information I've taken in and researched, is that while majority of Americans that can afford to do so do try to own multiple properties, their approach seems to be that the only property they don't own is the one they're living in. So effectively allowing them to, you know, live there for the cheapest possible rate without worrying about maintenance, levies, etc., etc., while still owning properties and purely just earning rental income on them. So it's an interesting... Uh, it is because property ownership is expensive, isn't it? It's just from a taxation point of view. And and I, I, I'm i the first one to say I think it's a great asset class. And, and I'm fascinated to hear about the American way of thinking, which is so unique to them, uh, is that it's an asset it should earn. There should be yield on it. You yeah. know, and something you live in, it, there's no yield on it. So you can't really say it is an, it's a, it's a, it's an asset that you, that, that you, it's an investment asset if there's no yield. You can say it's a lifestyle asset, you can say many things. Yeah. But you can't say the moment it's an investment asset, it then needs to be yield. And the place you stay in doesn't have yield. The, 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 the big problem with, with the youngsters, uh, with property ownership is the high debt that comes with the, um, that comes with the property ownership and then obviously the cost. So, Transactional, uh, we know that there's transfer duty up to a million, there's none, but, but there's transfer duty up to 8% on properties that you buy. When you sell it, there's capital gains, tax, etc. Um, but from an estate planning point of view, that debt is a problem because if a youngster passes away, and uh, I don't wish that on anybody, but that is their big problem. So with that debt comes life cover. Um, so if you look at the drawdown on your monthly income, etc., two things that you need to consider. One is you're going to have to have life cover with that bond uh, because the bond needs to be paid when you pass away uh, and then obviously insurance on the property. So, so property does come with a fair amount. Property ownership does come with a fair amount of cost. Uh, which a tenant obviously doesn't have, but, but I still think you have to get into the market. You have to get, um, uh, you have to start building that portfolio, etc. So it's just be mindful of, uh, of being caught, uh, let's say in an estate process with that 
debt payable. And I can promise you the banks want their money first. So if yeah. there's a bond on it, they get paid first. And then we, we, we don't even look at the will before we've settled the debt. It's, it's the will comes after you've paid everything. Then we look and say, right, who gets, who, who gets the rest that's left over? Yeah, exactly. I suppose it is a, it's not something that youngsters would often consider, you know, because of the general overview that youngsters are healthy and youngsters have their whole life ahead of them. And, you know, not everyone places as much as, as much importance as they seemingly should on, uh, you know, backup plans and keeping themselves covered in the event that tragedy strikes. Yeah, and we, we see that in the percentage of young people that's got wolves, for instance. And I understand that, you know, who wants to think about death when you're 22 years, 23, yeah. 25 years old, etc. And it's not a, it's, it's not a crisis. It becomes a crisis when you've got kids. Yeah. Um, so your, your vulnerable, your vulnerable part of, 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 of that group is the youngsters with kids. Because, uh, if, if I've got a child that's two or three years old, etc., if, if I ask an actuary to do a calculation on what do I need, if I pass away today, what do I need to secure, uh, that, that, that child's, uh, future? It is a sizable amount of money. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that does, that does come into it. Um, and then obviously the home, that, that house, that home is, 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 is anchors that family. So just emotionally owning that property and it being yours and that is a safe haven for, for your family, et cetera. It is so important. It's, it's just think a little bit further and, and, and protect that. Yeah. Um, Dev scenario, unfortunately, you know, we've got, I always say you've got your whole life to do estate planning. Yeah. All right. But, uh, if, and if you know when you're going to die, that is how long you've got. So you've got your whole lifetime. Uh, the only problem is we don't know when that time comes. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, if, if, when I was, uh, I don't know about you, Jordan, but when I was 23, I seriously didn't think about my death every day. No, uh, certainly I not. I think when you're 82, it's different. Um, yeah. but that is a bit of an Achilles heel. Um, yeah. and remember, you can, you can start drafting a will when you're 16. Uh, you know, it's, it's, and it's one of the things if there's parents listening, you know, when your child turns 16, it's a good habit to get into. It's just yeah. do your will. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, and make that a lifetime habit of making sure that you control where your stuff goes to. Even if you think it's little, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's such a good habit to get into every two yeah. years. Um, just revise it. No, exactly. Um, and not even, yeah. you know, purely property related, guys. This is, this is something that everyone needs to, take care of at some stage you know most people especially youngsters wouldn't even think twice about writing a will i mean most of us have nothing to yeah. leave behind anyways you know most of the youngsters yeah. but you know it is so important whatever the case may be to have these provisions in place yeah. again a state duty is not a problem there because yeah. you, you pay a state duty on your net estate all right so is we take your your all your assets we subtract the um uh, the liabilities, and if that what is left is more than three and a half million, that's only where estate duty comes in. So for this group, estate duty is usually not an issue. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully. But uh, you know, like you say, nonetheless, guys, it's important to to have that will written out. It's important to control the destiny of the items that belong to you. And again, like you say, it's a good habit to start doing when you're young. It's not something that's set in stone. It's something that's amendable and changeable and updatable. So uh, it's just uh, something to keep in mind, guys. But let's take a quick break, and we'll be back shortly. Property. We live on it. We buy it. Sell it. Invest in it. 
This is Proportunity Knox with Jordan Chernotsky. Welcome back, guys. I've got Louis Fenter with me, Managing Director and Founder of Wealth Succession SA. We've been chatting about the impact of property inheritance tax. So far, we've covered the you know, general impact of property inheritance and whatnot over young adults, first-time homeowners, etc., etc., but uh, obviously that's just one strata or substrata of the total population. So I suppose without further ado, let's move into what many would assume to be the, the biggest group, that being your you know, settled middle class, your growing family, those that are looking to now buy up and maybe increase their portfolios and whatnot. So perhaps, Louis, you can give us a little bit of an insight into how they differ from, you know, a youngster or a first-time buyer. These are the busy guys, yeah. um, busy guys and girls. You know, it, it's uh, uh, you, you're working on your career. Um, you know, you're starting to pay off that bond. In most instances, this is where the second property is bought. The children, the children are coming, uh, so you need a bigger home, you need a bigger car, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, life becomes more expensive. Um, even more strain on, on, on that income, that, that finite income salary mm-hmm. check. You know, there's so much pressure on that. Um, I think th- this is, this is one of the groups that is the most, most at risk. Uh, the b- families are bigger. Uh, there's more mouths to feed. Um, uh, so, so, and you are busy. Uh, and when you are busy, you don't think about estate planning or getting things in order. Uh, but I can't think of a bigger risk risk group. Uh, I think this is why this group is so popular with two um, two types of businesses. One is banks uh, who lend to this group, and the other one is insurance businesses. And and it's uh, I don't begrudge them because they're right. You know, it it is a group that needs debt. Uh, that debt, if 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 used well and used smartly, sets you up uh, later on. Uh, and that insurance is critical. Um, the biggest, the biggest risk I think for this group is not necessarily death, but disability. Um, so, so very, very important part is disability. It's, uh, your, your death is tragic, but disability, if you are 30 years old and, uh, you become disabled, uh, it is a massive, massive risk. You need a lot of capital to see you through. Yeah. Um, estate planning wise, you, you are starting to grow your estate. Many of, of, of these individuals are married and, and there comes a few tax breaks, uh, with that. Your primary home, we know, uh, up to two million rands growth. You don't pay any capital gains tax. So there's a bit of a, of a benefit. You don't pay any estate due to your donations tax, uh, when, when you leave stuff to your spouse. So in many of these, these instances, uh, there's a, a section 4Q of the, the act and, and, uh, you know, the moment I say that, uh, I, I just have to say it's four letter Q. I'm not swearing anybody. <laughs> uh, but, but the 4Q deduction, um, uh, you know, comes into play. So usually between spouses, absolutely no problem from taxation point of view. It just rolls on, but your marital regime is critical. So people need to understand their marital regimes. They need to understand what does it mean when you're in a community of property and, and how does that affect your estate planning? What does it mean when you're out of community of property with your accrual claim? And, and, and how does that affect you? Um, people perhaps coming from other countries. Uh, what marital regime applies when you're in South Africa when you, for instance, got married in the UK and you came back here? 
so it becomes very complex. Uh, your, your asset starts becoming more diverse. Uh, you start paying into your retirement annuity fund. You buy that second property, perhaps. Um, it might be that you want to invest in, 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 uh, a second property, like you said, for, 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 uh, yield purposes. Uh, so all of that happens, let's say, here from 28 to about 40. Um, a hell of a lot is happening. Um, yeah. you know, so, so it, it, it is a risky period and one where you really need to concentrate on your planning, uh, or start building a relationship with somebody that's going to start helping with your planning going forward. Trust comes into play here around about 40 when your net assets starts building up to the three and a half million mark. Uh, we start, start getting into the area where state uh, duty becomes applicable. And keep in mind that life cover that you've taken out do get calculated uh, into your state for state duty purposes. So, and that throws people off. They think they've got an estate of two or three million, but then you might be insured for 10 million because life cover is so cheap when you're young uh, that you can easily get a 10 or 12 million rand uh, uh, life cover that pays out. And that does have, uh, in some instances, an estate duty effect. Uh, so we try to say never guess law and never guess maths. Uh, so this is where it really is important to do that maths. Um, just see how the cookie will crumble on your death. It's not difficult to do. It's just something that you need to apply your mind on. Yeah. No, exactly. I suppose there's a almost emotional resistance towards getting yourself and your hands dirty in terms of these, you know, these areas and these life factors that everyone needs to account for. I suppose when you start to deal with it and plan for it, you're almost, you know, not expecting it, but really no, entertaining the idea of it. Yeah, but, 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 you know, and here's a, yes, perhaps a, a word of criticism. If, if you've got children, right, you've accepted the responsibility for those children. One of the responsibilities for those children is to make sure they find after your death. So if you've got children and you don't have a will, I think it's almost criminal. Yeah. All right, because when we do estate planning, I don't do estate planning for myself. I do estate planning for the people that I'm, that, that's, that, uh, I leave behind. Yeah. All right, because I get no value out of estate planning. Estate planning happens when I've passed away. Yeah. It is, it is the legacy that I leave behind. Um, and here's a bit of an educational thing as well. And, and, and education is part of that, uh, is part of that ability building. We see that people, uh, families that's very successful, um, uh, in, in succession, and we'll get to that at the last stage of the talk. Um, but the conversations that happens within families and between us and our children with regards to where does capital come from, um, it is somebody's ability that was turned into income that, that deserves respect. Um, and then part of that is responsibility. Number one, to hand over the baton in a, in, in a, um, responsible manner. But then also to accept the baton of that wealth, uh, in a way that is respectful to where the money comes from. And that can only happen with quality conversations that happens between two generations. And that happens in our households. It happens around the dinner table. It happens when we talk about money, talk about succession, etc. Um, those talks are invaluable, but no advisor can replace that. It is our duty as parents to have those conversations with our children. Yes, no, and it's obviously a really, really difficult situation to, well, not situation, topic to discuss. I mean, whether it be for the sake of looking after your children or not, you know, speaking to your kids yeah. about 
your inevitable or eventual death is not an easy thing to discuss. I mean, it's no. almost frightening. But like you say, it's of utmost importance and it's not yeah. something that can be neglected at all. Because, I mean, like you say, leaving your family with problems after your death is almost criminal when it's avoidable. It, it, it is avoidable. Um, uh, we've seen that about 95% of issues that we encounter in deceased estates that causes delays in deceased estates were avoidable. And it was avoidable with good planning and good conversations, whether those conversations are had within the family to avoid family disputes or those those quality conversations were had between you and your advisor. Uh, and remember, estate planning is a speciality. Uh, so lots of people out there are saying, well, come and do a will, etc. It's not about the will. The will is the easy part. It's about the estate planning. Yeah. Uh, and that is a legal speciality. Um, but those quality conversations uh, will definitely hold you in good stead. Uh, to make sure that succession uh, happens successfully. We can't manage all risks, but I can tell you now, 95% of, of delays in the States were avoidable. Yeah, no, I, I imagine so. And I suppose the reason for these issues coming up is purely just by a lack of planning for whatever the reasons are. I mean, there's a multitude, I suppose, of possible reasons as yeah. to why one would avoid planning. Um, well, planning for their estate and planning for death. But, um, you know, like you say, it's really something that shouldn't be neglected. And for those of you listening in that are bordering on how to go about this, I suppose Louis is one of the best people you could ask to, to have this issue, you know, explained to you and resolved. And like you say, planned for in the event that tragedy strikes. Um, but I suppose moving on from our high risk, strata or category of uh people your middle your middle class middle age sort of growing family i suppose the next uh section would be perhaps a group that are more at risk in terms of health but uh mm. potentially less risk in terms of their financial burdens and you know things that things of that nature that they would otherwise have to deal with the group I'm referring to obviously being those nearing retirement, you know, your older sort of uh, group of people, that being your parents or grandparents or, you know, those looking to downsize perchance or those whose children have grown up and moved out and have started their own lives. They may be the older, the older members of the family, but they sure as hell are equally as important and need to be looked after and obviously need to look after themselves. So, suppose the question would be, Louis, how would, uh, you know, a 65-year-old differ from a 45-year-old? Uh, you, you, you know, getting into, into the stage where I, where I am, so, so it's easy for me to talk about this because I can relate. Uh, and I must say one of the things that happens is, is obviously your children grow bigger. And I can tell you now there's, there's not a wiser person on earth uh, than an 18 year old. Uh, they know absolutely everything about the world. Their parents know nothing. Um, but it's not lovely to see them grow up. Um, uh, you start getting the empty nest. Uh, you know, it's great. So, uh, I've always said, you know, your influence on your children is the first 15 years. Um, uh, you know, then there's really little you can do. Um, so hopefully you've had those quality conversations, etc., and, 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 and they've got the ability uh, to, to start on their own journey, just, just like you did. 
but it is a unique group because they're a little bit sandwiched. Um, so you've got the you, you've got the young adults, and young adults still cost you money. They're not in your home, but they still cost you money. Uh, and it's well worth sp- uh, spending the money on because usually it's on education, uh, which is a great spend. I see many of my clients, for instance, assist in the buying of a first property, which I think is fantastic. If 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 you're a young individual and you can start off life without uh, student debt and perhaps your first car and perhaps a deposit on a on, on a property, you've got such a leg up in life. Yeah. Uh, I, it 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 reduces the time it takes to reach financial independence by about 10 to 15 years. Uh, it is incredible. And financial independence means that you work because you want to, not because you have to. Yeah. Uh, and it brings with it a lots and lots of freedom. Uh, and I think inter, intergenerationally, I think that's the best way we can help each other, where the one generation stands on the other. But this group itself also looks after older parents, uh, which is fantastic as well. Uh, uh, it, it is, there's a reason why, uh, you, you've got a certain position in, in, in your, uh, uh, in your family hierarchy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a great position to be in. It's a great position to be able to help. Uh, but you're definitely starting to move into the estate duty, uh, environment. So your risk now doesn't become uh, that you have got uh, have to have huge life cover, for instance, to 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 cover risk going forward because you survived your risk. When you get to fifty five to sixty five, you've survived your risks. Now your risk becomes longevity, and 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 that changes. And the biggest gift you can give to your children is not to be dependent on them. It is it is the biggest gift you can give them, and and that is your responsibility. Most wealth accumulation takes place from fifty five to sixty five. It uh, almost across the board. I know there's massive pressure on young people to start saving, and 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 I don't want to uh, say anything against that. But I'm just saying that most of your real wealth accumulation happens when your children start leaving the home. Yeah, when your expenses uh, you perhaps start scale to come down. down. Exactly, yeah. you start scaling down. The scientist tells us you've set your lifestyle at age 42. The chances that you will dramatically change your lifestyle after age 42 is very small. That's why your medical specialists, for instance, tend to have a huge income very early on in their lives and they set their lifestyle to that. Right. Yeah. So they struggle to reduce that. Your typical entrepreneur don't have money. It's, it's your, your entrepreneur or your businessman is one of those people that at the end of the month, they don't have money. Yeah. yeah because they pay salaries. All right. So you tend to set your lifestyle lower and which means your wealth accumulation is so much better, but then a state duty comes in. Uh, so estate duty is payable 20 to 25% on your estate, which exceeds 3.5 million per person. So between spouses, that's 7 million. Uh, and that's a 20 to 25% wealth tax. It's not a transactional tax. All the other taxes are, are, are transactional taxes. So I pay tax on my income. That's a transaction. I pay tax on capital gains tax. It's a transaction. I'm selling something. Estate duty is a wealth tax. It means that it's a redistributory tax. It is taking from the rich and putting that into the coffers of of uh, of government and and and, and uh, uh, for the state for the state then to use for for social good, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And one can have lots of debates uh, whether that capital is not better better looked after by good custodians being being the capitalists or, or whether the state is a good custodian. I know where my, my tick would be on that answer, but that's not the debate. But, yeah. but that is what it is. It's highly avoidable. 
Uh, a stay duty, if you pay a stay duty, it's because you didn't do planning well, alright? It is a highly avoidable tax. Yeah. Because you only pay a stay duty on that which you own. Uh, we use trust structures, for instance, to own, uh, our assets, uh, instead of owning it ourselves, and that takes it out of the estate duty net to a great degree. Uh, so, so if you find yourself, let's say, at 65 and you've got a fairly big estate duty problem somewhere down the line, I guess there's, there, there was a, there was a, a glitch in the planning, but it's not too late. Uh, you can still, if you're 55 years and you see, but you, you really, it's, it's becoming a big problem, estate duty. Uh, rather do some planning and instead of entrusting the government with that hard-earned capital, uh, you might want to entrust your future generations with it. Uh, if you do save on the state duty, one way to think about it is that the money will last one generation longer. Yeah. Uh, we found that your chances, doesn't matter how wealthy you are, your chances that you will be able to pay your great-grandchild's university fees with the money that you've left behind is about 1%. <laughs> All right, which is interesting. It is that that dynamic is interesting. It's interesting to study it. Um, but it's worthwhile, you know, if, if you can, if you can look after the capital well and structure it well, you know, that, that is the benefit is you'll be able to, without you knowing, pay a great, great Charles university fees, which, which is a nice thing to think about. Yeah, no, definitely. I suppose that's, uh, something that's, you know, as the person leaving things behind, you almost, don't have the privilege or the blessing of getting to see it, but you know, yes. changing the life of your grandchild or your great grandchild is a legacy that most people, I suppose, would want to leave behind. I want to ask you a more specific question. So, of course, now it's important to do your estate planning well before passing away, as as far as possible along the lines. What would be the additional challenges, or what would be the process? that would need to be followed for a family member who is not fit in terms of having a sound mind and, you know, perhaps dementia or Alzheimer's starts to kick in and they really just lose their ability to operate on their own. What would be the challenges then faced by the family in terms of tying up that estate and making sure everything's sorted for the, mm. for the time whereby that person's no longer with us? Yeah, and, 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 uh, it's such a good question because, um, things like Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, the, the incidence of that is growing. Yeah. Uh, it's more and more people. It's, it starts becoming a reality. Yeah. After 60, some, some even earlier. Uh, and there's two, there's two aspects to it. One is your person. All right. So somebody needs to take decisions with regards to, where you stay, the medical care that you need to give, need to be received, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the one thing. And the other one is on the assets. If your assets are in trust, it, it makes it easier because you would have a trustee that can, that can take those take decisions over, for yeah. you. I think that, that makes it easier. South Africa does have a huge issue in dealing with, um, mental health issues and managing individuals with that. Uh, and I'm going to compare it with the UK. So in the UK, for instance, I can sign an enduring power of attorney. So I can say, all right, so if, if I do lose my ability to look after myself or take decisions, I'm going to appoint a family member to take those decisions for me. And that power of attorney that I give them endures even though I lose my own ability to function. All right. In South African law, the problem is you can only give as much power or as much authority to an agent, so somebody you give a power of attorney to, that, yourself, that you yourself possess. 
And herein is the problem. So if I lose my ability to function and I lose my ability to make decisions in law, I cannot entrust an agent with more ability than I've got. It is a huge issue. It is an issue that the uh, uh, legal commission looked at. They they wrote a um, proposals in 1999 already. Those proposals are lying in parliament. It's been lying in parliament for the past 22 years, uh, which would have allowed for this enduring power of attorney to occur. Because we don't have that, the only option that we've got is an extremely expensive court process where you have to go to court, um, uh, uh, the court then appoints a curator, and the curator then looks after your affairs. But just that process, we're talking about 200,000 rand of legal fees just to get that done. Wow. You need to find a curator that is actually able and willing to do the work. Uh, the curator needs to provide security to do that. So security means that uh, you have to provide security for the full amount mm. that you entrusted with. So let's say, for instance, I've got... Uh, I've got 50 million rands in my bank account. A curator is appointed to me. That curator needs to give security so that if that 50 million rand disappears, that they, they can pay it back. It makes a lot of sense, but the cost of that yeah. and the cost of that application. Now think about somebody that's got a million rand. So if I've got a million rand and I can't look after myself and, and remember your, your, the amount that you've got is everything you have. It's everybody's 100% what they've got. You can't pay 200,000 rand to do an application for somebody to be placed on a curatorship that's got an estate of a million. Mm -hmm. It's a massive, massive risk. So when you early diagnosed, and uh, Alzheimer's and dementia does give us a window of opportunity. When you are diagnosed with early onset dementia or early onset uh, uh, Alzheimer's, Take your assets and put it in a trust so that trustees are, 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 are able to look after the assets then your family members will be able to take those decisions with regards to your care, etc. The next of kin can do that. So that in South Africa would be the solution because of our, the, the deficiency in our law with regards to that, which, which really is a shame because it is, it is such vulnerable people in our society. And for legislation to lie uh, with Parliament for the past 22 years and nobody processes it is, 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 is actually um, criminal. You know, it, it is criminal. Yeah. No, it's really daunting, the thought of that. I mean, in my experience as an agent, I've encountered a handful of people who, you know, unfortunately yeah. have parents, grandparents that are that fall into this bracket. And some of them, yeah. if not most of them, haven't taken the, you know, the prior measures to arranging for when the situation becomes unmanageable. Yeah. You know, so now yeah, you've yeah. got people sitting with their, their dad or their grandparents that are fully, fully down with 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 Alzheimer's or dementia, yeah. and they haven't signed a power of attorney. They haven't put their assets in trust. They haven't taken any steps towards estate planning, and this really does leave the families in such a tough, difficult position. I mean, even when it comes to selling a property of a deceased family member, I mean, if yeah. the provisions and aren't in place, it can take years. It's a nightmare. So properties in estates for us is a nightmare. Uh, and our friends, the banks also doesn't play, always play ball with regards to that, you know. So, um, a, a property, if it needs to be transferred, you need to know where the original title deed is. There's a few things that you can do. For instance, if you've paid off your bond, just, just cancel that bond and get that title deed. Uh, we wait for months for the banks to send us the title deeds and then they tell us it's been lost, etc. And it's all avoidable delays. 
so there's a few things that you can do, but um, there, there is there is no substitute for using a trust to to guard yourself against uh, issues like this. And if you do pick it up, if if you 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 pick up with your parent, and remember the patient itself won't pick it up. It's people around them that will pick it up, yeah, yeah. Um, and for them to then proactively say, okay. So there, it's a, it's, there's going to be a practical problem with dealing with these assets, et cetera. Let's get mm-hmm. that into a trust sooner than later so that yeah. we can actually deal with those assets. No, exactly. So let me ask you this. This is purely educational for our listeners. For those that aren't fully aware, I mean, this may be an obvious answer for some, but for the good fair few that aren't aware, what would the process involve when trying to, you know, put all of your assets into a trust or to register that trust, how how would the basic process unfold? How could one go about it? All right. So uh, a, a trust is basically an agreement between a founder uh, that usually is the, the, the family member who's setting up the trust and trustees, um, which, who they entrust the assets with and beneficiaries. So that agreement needs to be registered with the master of the high court. The master of the high court is an official that uh, uh, looks after trusts and trust assets. Um, so the, the agreement is registered there. They issue then a document which we call a letter of authority, and that letter of authority authorizes the trustees to deal with those assets. So usually, and, and that constitutes your trust. Yeah. So when you then open a bank account or an investment account, etc., cetera, what, what those institutions will ask, they will ask for the trust deed, so they can see what this trust is about and they'll ask for the letter of authority so they can see who they are dealing with. The, the, the funding of the trust, uh, there's, there's basically three ways to fund a trust, right? So, so the one is you can donate assets into a trust. The, 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 usually we don't donate because there's donations, donations tax. tax. Donations yeah. tax is, is, is levied at the same rate as the state duty. Why? Because donations tax is an anti-avoidance tax for a state duty. Oh. All right, so so that is why donations tax is there. It's charged at the same rate. Okay, then you can you can sell assets to a trust, and uh, the, the 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 purchase consideration can just be outstanding. It's uh, we create a loan account. There's a, a few tax rules with regards to whether that loan account is interest free or interest bearing. Um, I don't think we have time to go into that, but there's a few complexities. And then the most overlooked one is you can bequeath assets to a trust. And 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 so if you are doing your will, so let's say, for instance, you are that 55-year-old. Let's say, for instance, you got divorced. You, you're a single person uh, and you're 55 and you, you you want to leave the assets to your kids. Rather leave it into trust for your children because it's exactly the same estate duty that you're going to pay, but you solve their estate duty for them yeah. and you solve their estate planning for them. So... Trusts are always used within an intergenerational perspective. It's just a very safe way of transferring that pattern. Uh, it protects the assets against the heirs itself, you know. So if they get divorced or they have go belly up in a bad business decision, etc., the intergenerational wealth should be placed at risk. But that can only be done if used in a trust. But that those are the three ways to fund a trust with the bequest into a trust being the most efficient one and the most overlooked one because we don't do our wills. Interesting. That is something that I hope everyone listening takes strongly into account. And, you know, I suppose if you haven't got a trust in place already, today's the day to make the call and, you know, perhaps start planning. But uh, just a little breather. 
Let's take a small break and we'll be back shortly just to wrap things up with Louis. Property. We live on it. We buy it. Sell it. Invest in it. This is Propertunity Knox with Jordan Chernotsky. Welcome back, guys. With me is Louis Fanta, Managing Director of Wealth Succession SA, discussing the impact of property inheritance tax with me today. Uh, Louis, unfortunately, we are on short time. It's been a very interesting interview, and I thank you once again for sharing your expertise and your knowledge. It's been a real learning curve for me. I mean, Pleasure. I do have a fair share of information and knowledge as to the property industry and, you know, when it comes to sales and bonds and laws and whatnot, but this has been a real eye-opener for me. So without uh, wasting too much of the limited time we have left, give us a little bit of a, a generalized statement as to how best to manage the transition of your wealth. We have discussed trusts and, you know, wills and general estate planning, but you spoke to me before this interview about a concept called generational momentum. So perhaps you can give our listeners a little bit of an idea as to what that encompasses. Right. So generational momentum uh, is the science of the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. Um, it is a lifetime thing because, uh, as we said right in the beginning, uh, a lot of uh, the way we deal with assets, etc., is our ability and and. Uh, uh, one of the things that we transfer from one generation to the next is that ability. And this ability is the ability to understand capital and to manage it well. That makes for good ears. And it's very simple. I'm going to use, I'm going to use a very simple example. I'm going to go back to, to the baton. Let's say we're in a relay race. Um, and you've got one generation running to the next. There's a few simple rules that applies to any relay, but this, uh, those rules apply to succession as well. The one, the first is, if you're in a relay, you must know you're running a relay. All right. So uh, you must, you know that you're carrying the baton with a purpose of handing it over, and it makes a big difference. There's a big difference between being a custodian of the baton and being an owner of the baton. An owner keeps things close. A custodian keeps things for a while and then hands it over, but in in, in with responsibility. The second rule is um, usually in a relay, the second runner looks towards the first runner as they come, which means that there is there is uh, communication between these two generations. It's generations that's talking to each other. That's what I, we said about the quality conversations. Good succession cannot happen if there isn't good uh, um, communication between. Yeah. yeah, it's quality conversations. If that's not happening, you've got no chance. Yeah, All right. Almost everyone's in the dark then. Absolutely, and the worst thing is to live like a pauper and then leave somebody a gazillion amount of friends. All right, that person is in the same position as a lotto winner. Yeah. A lotto winner is in the worst position after five years, and exactly the same happens with inheritance. So don't live like a pauper if you're not. Rather, have a conversations about it and explain where capital comes from and how to respect that capital and and what the idea was with building that and carrying that forward. Uh, the next rule is that the, the second generation usually have an open hand. So if I'm running a relay race, my hand is open. I'm willing to accept. If you've got a business, if you've got a farm, and the next generation doesn't want to be in that business or doesn't want to farm, don't force it on them. It's going to be a failed transfer and succession of that yeah. farm or of that business. It's guaranteed. Yeah, rather cash in. Rather cash in at the right time. Yeah. Um, sell. 
take the cash and hand over the cash and say, all right, here's, here's the capital. Go and do what you think needs yeah. to be done with it. No, exactly. Right, it's like, conversations about it. Exactly. It's like rather than leaving a massive house to your, your son or your daughter that they don't plan on using or living in or wanting yeah. to manage and ruining that value and ruining the capital and ruining the asset value, rather ask them what their preference would be and find a, I agree. a solution that's, that's best fitting for both sides. Yeah, and it's a fallacy to think, you know, we've, uh, you know, uh, clients have got uh, this holiday home and we've got this romantic idea that my children will get along with in that uh, one uh, property because it's at the seaside and everybody's enjoying going there, etc. Yeah. Uh, throwing them indoors into that mix and then just try to do one thing and paint, uh, uh, decide on painting a wall and decide, uh, try to get everybody to agree what color that must be. Yeah. All right, so um, the more people, the more ideas. It doesn't work. I can tell you now that 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 communal property in the third generation, I've never seen it work. Uh, lawyers make like myself make lots of money trying to 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 sort out those disputes. So to try not get there. Yeah. But then the second thing, uh, the, the fourth rule is when the one generation nears the other one, usually in a relay race, the one starts running, and that is the pre- preparation part of it. So when the pattern transfer from the one generation to the next, there should already be built up ability. That's why in trust, for instance, we, we bring in the children from 30 years of age and they sit in the trustee meetings. They listen to yeah. what is happening with the assets, etc. By the time they are 50, when they take that over, uh, they're already ready for it. Yeah, All exactly. right. And then the last most important one, when you take that pattern, you run forward to the next generation. You don't look back. You can't resolve issues in the past. Uh, we see succession fail on that uh, on, on that basis. You try to recover w- the losses of the past. It is not possible. And the problem is with that is you actually damage the quality conversations between you and the third generation. And and lots of wealth gets lost. This is the reason why we see that wealth gets com- accumulated by the one generation and then lost by the next one. It it is it is a pattern. It's a it's a pattern you can break. The re- way to break that is quality conversations. Hundred percent. I mean, I suppose the worst thing you could do is hand the baton on to a person who has no intentions of even staying in the stadium. You know, it's almost senseless. <laughs> Absolutely. And we know that two things are happening with South Africans. The one is there's a diaspora on our assets, and there's a diaspora on our heirs. Our heirs are moving across the world. Our assets are moving across the world. Uh, so bequeathing a farm in South Africa to somebody who's living in the UK or living in Australia, it doesn't make recipe sense. Recipe for disaster. Um, it is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, Louis, thank you again for making the time this morning. Unfortunately, that is all we do have time for. But, you know, it's been a really interesting conversation, and I feel like there's a hell of a lot more that you could educate us all on. So uh, we do definitely hope to have you back on the show. And uh, like I said, it's been an absolute treat. This has been Louis Fenter, the Managing Director of Wealth Succession SA. For those of you listening, I hope you've taken a few notes and uh, have had your eyes open to estate planning and uh, the actions that we all need to take when, uh, you know, dealing with passing on our, our assets and general inheritance situations for our loved ones, the second, third, fourth, fifth generations that lie ahead of us. So, Louis, thank you so much. It's been an absolute treat. And I'm sure we will certainly look at having you back on the show again soon. 
Fantastic. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks so much, Louis. Guys, this has been myself, Jordan Chinatsky, with Louis Fenta for Proportunity Knox. Have an awesome week, and uh, we'll see you next weekend.